Greg Strauss is a husband, father, and senior vice president with AB Biotech, a technology-driven company specializing in fermentation science. With 33 years of experience in industry-leading organizations like the Coca-Cola Company and Associated British Foods, Greg's success leverages broad and deep expertise in sales, marketing, operations, and people management. Tonight, we discuss leadership principles that influence consistent results from the boardroom to the front line as we enjoy Wilderness Trail bottled in bond bourbon whiskey. This is straight talk you won't hear anywhere else. I'm Galen Bingham, and this is the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Cheers. All right. Well, you guys know what time it is, right? It is time for another episode of Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. And, you know, this time I'm talking with someone whom I have known for a while. I mean, gosh, when I do the math, we're going to have to start counting decades. (laughs) When I start thinking about leaders who I have actually seen go from strategy, you know, high level, you know, what do we want to do from macro level all the way down to how do we make sure the truck runs on time? This guy, I have seen him do it. Uh, There's a lot of people that that I know of and that I've read about and that I've studied who have done it, but this is a guy I've seen do it. And Not only is he an incredible leader, but he actually brought me a bottle of bourbon. So he's (laughs) he's itching up the charts for being one of my favorite leaders. So Greg Strauss, come on into the conversation, man. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Whiskey Jazz and Leadership. How you doing, man? Oh, fantastic, Alan! What what a what a blast to be on this show. I've, I have certainly listened to a number of your podcasts, and and uh, when you asked me a couple of weeks ago to do it, yeah, I felt honored, and and so thank you. I hope I can I can live up to everything you just gave as a wonderful intro. So thank you. Oh man, I I know you can. Well, first of all, I'm going to do something. This is something that I've never done on podcast. I'm going to actually crack open this bottle, <laughs> peel back the plastic. It's never been anywhere near open here. <laughs> hey, hey, so Galen, while, while you're opening it, do you, do you want me to uh, give you a little bit of background on yeah, it? T- tell me a little bit about what I'm getting ready to get into because this, this is Wilderness Trail. It is a bourbon whiskey bottled in Bond. 100 proof. So this is this is some grown folk stuff here. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Tell me what's going on with this. Yeah. So so for, first of all, I, you know, and I, I learned something as, as well, even though I'm, I'm kind of in the business, I'm in the yeast fermentation business. So we do do a lot of uh, fermented beverages. But I got to admit, uh, recently, having picked up that bottle, I did, uh, I did learn what bottled and bond actually means. And it, it's interesting, it, it has a couple of um, very specific 
points that require for that to have that that term. So the first is it has to be the bourbon has to be aged at least four years and bottled at precisely 100 proof or obviously 50 percent alcohol by volume. And it also can only be made by one distiller because oftentimes you'll have blends and everything. It can only be made by one distiller at a single distillery in one season and then aged in a bonded warehouse. And that's really the definition of bottled in bond. That's a rare exception, right? The majority are, are all kinds of different classifications. But, but so this is actually a pretty special bottle. The other thing about Wilderness Trail, uh, they're located in Danville, Kentucky. They've been in business. They broke ground back in uh, 2013. And this, this distillery is the most recent addition to the Bourbon Trail. And uh, in fact, they, they came online as part of the Bourbon Trail and actually got their distillery put on the map in March of 2020. And everybody kind of knows what happens then with COVID. So uh, that's been a little bit tough from a tourism standpoint, but they're starting to come back online and, and uh, they're in 33 states. And uh, I was out in Kentucky on business a couple of weeks ago. I picked up this uh, small batch bourbon and fell in love with it. It's uh, 24% rye, so it's a high rye, 64% corn, and uh, 12% uh, malted barley. Uh, wow. I have a glass here, so maybe I, I cheers you online. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what let, let me go ahead and give this the... First of all, I got to give this the pour test, right? It, let's see if it, if it wakes up. Boy, that... Oh my gosh, the bouquet is okay. All right, I see, I see. Hold on, got to taste it here. What is it? Right. Oh man, that is real. Oh my gosh, that is really, really good. You know, hey, I brought a couple of cubes just in case, but I don't know that I can even. I think cubes might might actually interfere with what this has got going on. Hey, you know what? That the guy that was ahead of you on my favorite leader list, he just got knocked off. <laughs> right, perfect. He just got knocked off. This is this is really nice. Let's get into this conversation, and I, I, you know, I've shared just a little bit about your background, and you know, I could talk forever about how you and I have met, but I would just love for you to just share a little bit about what you've done because. You have been at this leadership thing for over 30 years. And, you, you know, as I said before, a lot of leaders that I met can play in the boardroom, right? And they, they can talk about strategy and they can uh, do a really, really good job of talking about the big picture. And then you got some leaders that they don't really feel comfortable in the boardroom, but boy, you get them out where the action happens and they're really, really good at motivating the troops and, and making people understand why they need to take that hill. You have been one of the rare people that I've seen that feel just as comfortable in the field as you do in the boardroom. And I, I would just love to know where, where that has come from you know, what benefits do you see from being able to understand the nuts and bolts uh, as well as being able to read the, the, the diagram of how the plane is actually built? 
Yeah, well, thanks. So, you know, and, and you're right. You and I go way back. Uh, <clears throat> I was kind of mid in my Coca-Cola career at that time when when, when we met, and um, I, I tell you that was a a tremendous foundation in terms of not only learning, uh, coming to appreciate the, the value of strong work ethic and and recognizing that in people, leading by example. And in an organization like the Coca-Cola system, both on the parent company side, as well as on the um, bottling distribution side, very hierarchical. And, and so you were given the opportunity to rise to the ranks by delivering results. And, and, and you can't, <laughs> learn, learned a long time ago, uh, for probably the first, first 10 years of, of my working career, I was an individual contributor. But what I found were, were it was really a, a launch to my career is when I found working through people enabled me to achieve tremendous amount more. It's like it's like a fulcrum, right? It's much much higher leverage, and and so if you can embody that same same pride in in, in a job well done and in, in in the company you represent, the products you're, you're selling, it, it goes a long long way. And that was a fantastic foundation. Number of different uh, positions uh, in the in the Coke system. You know things changed. The organization changed, the structure changed, and so the the point that I had reached at that point back in in 2007 really wasn't available anymore due to structural changes. I could have certainly stayed with the Coke system, but but opted not to just from a career pathing standpoint. And and uh, what I would have never anticipated at the time when I uh, left Coke and and looked to get into a different company, I, I, I viewed that as kind of a stopgap. But one of the divisions of Associated British Foods is a, is a company called uh, AB Maori that does, uh, among other things, uh, Fleischmann's yeast, which uh, a lot of people w- would be very familiar with in this country. International global company, but really focused me to pivot and become a student and relearn. If you'd asked me 15 years ago, where was I going to retire? It would have been with Coke, right? And But things changed. And, and so you adapt, you recreate yourself. And, and, and that's absolutely, <clears throat> in the mid-2000s, it was a period of, of recreating myself. But still being able to rely upon the foundation of the previous years. And, and, and so the same discipline, the same commitment to excellence, the same uh, leading teaching and coaching of people carried forward. And so I learned a new industry, the baking industry. And, and uh, of the seven years that I managed bakery, uh, we either met or exceeded our operating plan by uh, five out of seven years. And so it was, it was, it was tremendously successful. So much so that I, I had to recreate myself again about six years ago. I was asked by the company to step out of that role, that bakery sales and customer service role, and and uh, and start a new business unit. And I did. So I went from managing a team of 20 people and $250 million to literally for a year, nobody and nothing, right? So I spent a lot of time building business cases on where to play and how to win and, and what what areas, what industries could our manufacturing footprint service and, and built a business model around it. And so there was a mini startup within a, certainly within a safety net of, of a larger corporation. And so I did have the investment and the backing of a big company, but it was, it, it was a little, a little daunting at first, but again, a, applying the same leadership principles um, and being humble enough to, to say, I don't, I don't have all the answers. And so, you know, what's been amazing really throughout throughout my career is, is customers. I've, I've always gravitated to customers. I think they, you get them talking and you can learn a tremendous amount about, about the business, about the industry that you serve, and then how can you uh, develop solutions to, to meet those. And, and, and really 
embodying that in in the startup has has, has paid huge dividends. And so, you know, six years later, we're we're still a tiny little business, but twelve million dollars. But it's it, it's fun. Oh, by the way, one of the side benefits is uh, one of the industries that I get to service is the uh, uh, whiskey industry and, and distilled spirits here in the states. It's been fun. <laughs> yeah, I know I would enjoy that industry as well. You know, one of the things that I've heard even now in this conversation is how many times you have reinvented yourself. And I, I think it takes a lot of courage to start all over in a different industry that you know very little about. Talk to me a little bit about the courage that that, that took, because a lot of people would think, okay, you know, I've got this background with a big beverage company. There are lots of other beverage companies out there. Why wouldn't you just choose another or a different beverage company? They don't know what that really means to someone who's you know been in the cola wars, but you've actually gone from a beverage industry to an ingredient industry to now you're working with almost micro ingredients <laughs> where you just said you had to start all over and admit, hey, I don't I don't know the level of detail that I feel comfortable, you know, that I would need to know working with customers. That's got to take some courage. Where does that come from? Well, I mu- must confess, 13 and a half years ago, it was, um, uh, I won't say that I approached it with the, the, the most um, pristine of, of motives, right? Because I, I viewed the, the opportunity to, to stay in St. Louis and keep the family in St. Louis. And I thought, well, this is, I know a bit about sales and key account management and, and, and sales management. So I'll just do this gig for, uh, you know, for a couple of years until I find something that I really like. And, and you're right. The beverages were very comfortable for me. <clears throat> and so I didn't necessarily approach it with the correct mindset. But what I did do is I thought, well, I'm in it. So uh, a job worth worth doing is worth doing right. That's an old adage from my dad from years ago when I was in grade school. <laughs> Started getting out and, and, and working with, um, with my team, with my field team, and meeting customers. And what I found, and, and really the reinvention from Coke to AB Maori, was far more challenging than the one into the startup. You would have thought a startup with not managing a hierarchy anymore would have been challenging and it had its challenges, but that was daunting at first. But once I got around people that were servicing that industry, the bakers, there's a tremendous amount of passion there. And that's what I was gravitated towards. There's the pride and passion in baking. I know it doesn't, uh, to everybody, it doesn't sound all that that cool, but it really is. It's the breadbasket of, of, of America and, and and these people take a lot of pride in, in what they do. The types and varieties of, of breads and sweet goods and tortillas and, and donuts. And, and you hear this passion and it's infectious. And then you go, wow, I can actually do something with this. I, I, can, I can resonate at an at a, uh, emotional level because these guys are emotional, <laughs> these guys and gals. Yeah. yeah. And so it wasn't long. It was probably about six months on the job and having done probably about 60% travel uh, just to get to know the industry and the and the and the people and the customers, that is like I like this industry, and so I became a student, not only understanding what what their hot buttons were, but but how our yeast and ingredients fit in with with their needs. Yeah, I, I became very very passionate about it myself. So it was infectious. It actually came from the customers that then embodied into in terms of how I I managed the team. One of the things. We talk about transferable principles. 
uh, especially in this management and leadership space and the father of modern day management is Mr. Drucker, Fred Drucker. And one of his quotes that you've listed as being one of your favorite is management is doing things right. Leadership is doing the right things. And there's a nuance there that if you're not careful, you might miss. But that nuance is so important to the difference between management and leadership. Just talk to me a little bit about uh, why that quote is at the cornerstone of, of how you approach the work that you do, whether it's in a big beverage company or if it's growing a startup from zero to multi-million dollars. Yeah, so that that Peter Drucker quote is is probably analogous to somebody viewing uh, a position as a job versus somebody viewing a career track. You can do a job, you can manage things, you can manage projects, you can deliver on results, but where's the passion in that, right? Where where do you where do you develop actual followership and getting the the individuals that ultimately are gonna going to give you that high leverage result to to buy into that? Because if you don't. Yeah, you can drive people to do stuff and hey, here's your here's your performance appraisal. Here's what I need you to do. And you can you can micromanage them and, and uh, you can get results for a period of time, but you get burnout, you get lack of buy-in, and and ultimately long term, you really don't accomplish and 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 truly grow the business in a value-added way. Leadership, on the other hand, is 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 having your people see that you're passionate about it and and them wanting to fall into line and actually do the same thing, right? And emulate that. Yeah. I see so many managers get it wrong and they, they try to do the very thing that you described. I mean, they, they try to micromanage, they try to command and control. And because they get immediate results, they continue to do that. Why do you think it's so tempting to want to micromanage and make people do what you think they need to do. Why do you think that's so tempting for managers, particularly young managers? Well, I think it's easier. It's easier. It's easier to develop a a set of uh, key performance indicators and then track, rank, and publish people. It's very black and white. It's on paper and and you can use that as as a tool for driving results. And I'm I'm not speaking out against that by any stretch. You certainly have to measure results and you have to track progress. But if that's the sole way of of managing a team, the team will turn, right? What'll happen is is the is the ones that think outside the box, the ones that um, really do have the new innovative ideas and, and approaches, they'll get burned out. They're going to feel like they're they're put into a box, and and what'll what'll be left is is a bunch of people that think just like you, and that don't do it as quite as well as you do. Yeah, another uh, Drucker quote that I love, although I have corrected Mr. Drucker. Mr. Drucker said that culture eats strategy for breakfast, and I, I thought that was a nice attempt, but. I've improved upon Mr. Drucker's words. I think culture eats strategy for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and midnight snack. Because culture is absolutely everything. If you don't have the right culture, 
then it really doesn't matter what you're talking about in the boardroom because there's not going to be anyone around to execute. So I, I just love this distinction that you made about leadership is is doing the right things as opposed to just trying to focus on doing things right. And it's much more challenging to be a leader, but it's so needed. We all have experiences where we we didn't quite show up the right way as a leader. I, I could spend the next three hours listing the ones <laughs> that I've stepped into. But I found that it's those mistakes that I've made that's helped me to grow. And so the next time I would approach things, you know, I still may not know what to do, but I know I'm not going to do that. <laughs> what have been some experiences that you've learned from that at the time they may have been painful or they may have appeared to be insignificant, but looking back, it, it really did change the way that you were approaching this, this leadership space? Yeah, the, you know, the fir first time that I ever managed people was Coca-Cola Enterprises. I had moved from the Coca-Cola company being an individual contributor and moved over to the bottler distribu distributor and was uh, given an opportunity to manage a, uh, a key accounts department in St. Louis. So eight people. So I knew exactly what I wanted to accomplish. I, I knew the metrics. I knew what my general manager wanted me to, to do early on. I would go on sales calls and I had all of them were, were really good salespeople, but there were a couple that were really exceptional. And it took a couple of, of key meetings with, uh, with grocery chains and convenience chains. And then afterwards, I mean, hats off to them. I won't mention names, but hats off to them to, to point out and say, you know what, Greg, I can actually do my job. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I actually don't need you jumping in on a joint sales call to to do the selling for me. That that's what you pay me to do. And so I had a, a couple of individuals that that pointed it out to me, and I, I'm really glad they did. It was like a one of those light bulb moments that hey, if I'm going to be a leader, it's probably less important for me to make the sale. Well, there's not enough of me to do that, right? That's so why I got eight people to do it. But it's really. I'm going to be much more successful in my job if I can create an environment uh, where they can be their best. Not that it was, you know, done it perfectly. And, and I also have another favorite adage, you, you learn something new every day. So I continue to try to improve on, on, on the way I approach things. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I think that that's a lesson that many leaders <laughs> run up against and hopefully they learn from it. And it's yeah. so tempting because usually the way that you get promoted into management is by being an amazing individual contributor. And then right. the day after you get promoted, you're asked not to do that thing that you've been so amazing at doing. Don't do that anymore. And so that's really, really hard. And so I, I'm not surprised that you ran into that, especially after being such a high performer. Another quote, that you talk about is uh, Colin Powell. I'll, I'll let you share the, the quote that you like from him because I, I just really liked a lot of what he represented, both in his position in the military and then his position when he uh, stepped into the administration. I just liked the, the sense of calm that he provided and the sense of assurance that he provided. So go, go ahead and share your story and why you cite him as being 
uh, one of your key leadership models? Yeah, you know, I, I had heard this quote. Gosh, it was it was a couple decades ago when I was uh, I was really on on uh, on the rise at Coca Cola and and, and uh, kind of every couple of years getting a promotion and and, and by all measures um, being successful at what I was doing. And it resonated resonated with me at that time. And then I heard it again recently. I can't even remember where. It may have even been one of those like, you know, quotes that come over at LinkedIn or something like that. But it was like, oh my gosh, it was like this, <laughs> this, uh, all the emotions that when I heard it originally came rushing back to me. It was poignant then, and it's it's every bit as poignant today. And 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 what he said is that leadership is all about people. It's not about organizations, it's not about plans. It's not about strategies. It's about people, motivating people to get the job done. You have to be people-centered. And that was as a younger manager a couple couple years, a couple decades ago, uh, I was like, wow, it, it gave me an opportunity to be introspective. Now today, leading teaching and coaching a much, much smaller team, but um, kind of growing this, continuing to grow this startup. It's just as important as ever before. If I don't motivate my people, it's not going to get done. If I'm not people centered, if I don't treat them with respect, if I if I don't communicate properly, if I if I don't show a bit of humility and and leading by example, they're not going to fall in line and and sign up for it. Fall in line is really not the right word. It's 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 sign up for the vision. You know, but get behind it and embody the same the same passion you've got. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I have said a couple of times that command and control has its place because it is expedient, but at best, you only get what you ask for. And that's if you're lucky, right? And if you can step into the more inspirational kind of leadership, where to your point, people enroll, they sign up, they, they raise their hand and say, yeah, I'll, I will follow you you get the opportunity for pleasant surprises. They'll give you what you asked for, and then they'll give you a few things that you didn't know that you needed. I really need those pleasant surprises because I don't, I don't know everything that I need. I've got an idea, I've got a plan. I, you know, uh, I certainly have a vision, but heck, I don't, I don't know everything that's going to come. And if the people that I'm supposed to be leading if they don't feel enrolled enough to say, hey boss, here's this other thing that's out there that you didn't fit into your strategy, you think we might wanna go left instead of <laughs> down the hill right? That's pretty important. Have you had experiences where uh, even though you had brilliant plans, someone in your organization said, Mr. Boss, <laughs> Here's this other thing that that you didn't notice and that ended up making all the difference in the world. Oh, yeah, cer certainly. I mean, <clears throat> there have been many examples of that. And why don't I pull off of something a little bit more recent, uh, which would be kind of in this startup, right? So I grown into different roles. And so a little over six years ago, when I started this this business unit and and literally from from nothing, and I did all this research and I built all these business cases. I spent a solid year studying in depth six different industries, going to trade shows, talking to customers. And so I had a pretty good idea of, of like I said, where to play and how to win. You use a little bit of uh, strategy lingo there. And, and then I started to hire technical 
professionals, you know, winemaker, master distiller, and, and uh, uh, bioethanol person. And, and so, you know, industry experts. And I, you know, so I had it all worked out in my mind because I had spent so much time pouring over the data and building the business case. And, and uh, there were several instances where, where I had it all mapped out, even did, did research on, on competition. And uh, once I, I put some feet on the street and got real customer intel from the coalface, it was like, wow, I hadn't actually considered that reaction from the competitor. I hadn't actually really thought about positioning because I was not, I wasn't a technical expert by any stretch in terms of the ingredient functionality in the, in the industries. So what I knew is that what was sold into it, but really hadn't thought through the, the um, touch points, what made that important in the delivery to the various customers. And, and uh, well, it really changed our selling approach in a couple of different instances, particularly in, in winemaking and, and actually, interestingly enough, in, uh, in distilling. So. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.